I'd like you to uh, use your imagination this morning, and I know that can be dangerous in the mornings, uh, but if you can, please attempt to with me. I'd like for you to picture yourself having been here maybe a few times. Maybe you have been here a few times, and that's it. But then I'd like for you to hear what we're asking of you and to try and consider all that's being said. Um, In Matthew chapter 10, there's actually a rundown of all that I'm going to ask of you this morning. And as a church, our desire is to send you. And some of you are saying, but I just got here, so you're already afraid. And then I'm going to say, I want to send you somewhere. And you're like, cool, I I can wear the mission team shirt. I can get the bright orange green colored t-shirt that says mission team. And I can go overseas and make bracelets and take selfies of me helping little kids make the same bracelets that I'm wearing. No, I'm going to send you here. I'm going to send you in this city. I'm going to send you in this state. So you're going to have to, to talk to and minister to people who you know. That's dangerous. So you might be kind of going, I don't know about this calling. But then I may actually say to you, I want you to talk to them about the kingdom of God. But I don't know all the answers to that. I I don't know how to talk to people about a kingdom. I'm not even sure of it myself. How am I supposed to talk to them about a kingdom that I don't really know a lot about? This is getting a little crazy. Then I ask you to go and heal the sick. Cure the lepers. Raise the dead cast out demons. All right, this is getting a little weird, Jason. (laughs) I'm not exactly sure I understand all of this, and it's kind of freaking me out. I am not a doctor. I know how to exercise. I don't know how to exorcise. Good at one, not good at the other. This is a little bit weighty, Jason, and I'm not sure this is exactly what I signed up for. Then I ask you to give as freely as you've received. Give. Jason, do you know that if I give, people are going to find out that I give, and they're just going to keep coming to me. You know you're just going to keep creating the problem. You're going to give, and they're going to come. You're going to give, and they're going to come. And I don't like this idea. It's getting a little much. I'm not sure I want to sign up for something like this. Even more so, I tell you, don't take any money with you. Jason, seriously, if you're sending me, I have to have money. Money will get me out of jams. Money will help this situation move further along. But I tell you, don't take any money with you. Then I say, also, don't pack a bag. Don't take sandals with you or keens or whatever you like to wear. I don't know what you want to wear. Don't take, your, don't take an extra pair of shoes. Don't take any extra clothes with you. And don't take a walking stick. But Jason, a walking stick can double as a beat stick. If I get in trouble, I can beat people with this. You know, it could get rough out there trying to talk to people about the kingdom. Don't take it with you. Are you getting a little anxious? A little anxiety is kind of building up? Well, if it hasn't built up yet, then I tell you, take hospitality from perfect strangers. That's it, Jason. No, not doing that. I am not going to take hospitality. I'm on a gluten-free vegan diet, and if someone offers me boxed Kraft macaroni and cheese, I can't eat it. This will be your out. You're done. Your anxiety level is already through the roof. Well, if I can help it go a little bit higher, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Wait, 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 Jason, I think you have it backwards. I think it's actually you're sending us as wolves out among sheep. We're going to eat up all the competition. (laughs) No, you are the sheep going out among wolves. And you get the imagery that comes with that. Is your anxiety level rising just a little bit more? I hope it is, because this is freaking me out. 
Now, not only will you be sheep among wolves, you're going to go to court, and you're going to be beaten. And see, this is where I could see you leaning over and going, did you say we're going to go to the food court eaten? We're going to eat in the food court? No, you're going to be beaten, and you're going to go to court. Getting a little fearful? I am. Every time I see this, every time I think of this, every time I think of Jesus' words... And then he adds insult to injury, and he says, oh yeah, just to to kind of let you understand something, (sighs) the nations are going to hate you. And not by, not when I say the nations, I mean all of them. All of the nations are going to literally hate you. Go. Oh, and they uh, they called me demon-possessed, so they're going to call you worse names than that. Just so we're clear. Everybody ready to run out the door? <laughs> I, I was hoping I had, could have cricket sounds on my phone or something because that's freaking me out a little bit. And here's the deal. I just ripped all of that off from Jesus' speech to the disciples. I ripped it all off. I copied it all. That's not, none of that is my words. Those are all Jesus' words. But I want you to hear some very interesting words that he adds In Matthew chapter 10, verse 26. But, I always love when Jesus throws a giant but right there for us to chew on. Here we go. (laughs) But don't be afraid of those who threaten you. For the time is coming when everything that is covered will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. What I tell you now in the darkness, shout abroad when daybreak comes. What I whisper in your ears, shout from the housetops for all to hear. Jesus is saying this, what I just asked you and invited you to is going to become the norm for the Christian. The world is going to see this happen to you as a Christ follower. This is going to be what happens to the Christ follower. Great job description. I don't think many people sign up for this. And he continues, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. Now, if I'm a disciple, I'm standing there going, why not? I mean, if I'm Peter and Peter is known putting his foot in his mouth, I'm I'm thinking, why not, Jesus? Why should I not be afraid? Everything you just said, I'm afraid of. Absolutely everything. But Jesus continues, Don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. They cannot touch your soul. Fear only God, who can destroy both soul and body in hell. What is the price of two sparrows? One copper coin? But not a single sparrow can fall to the ground without your father knowing it. And the very hairs on your head are all numbered. So, don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. Jesus uses a very interesting tactic here. He actually gives us a bigger fear. Now, how in the world does fearing God who can destroy body and soul, how in the world is that supposed to motivate them not to be afraid of man? How in the world is using one fear going to cause another fear to drive away? And I really believe that's that's the predicament we find ourselves in this morning. That's where we find ourselves pretty regularly. Jesus gives us this invitation not to fear the wrong thing, But then he calls us to fear the right thing the right way. Don't fear the wrong thing. 
and fear the right thing the right way. And did you, did you see that Jesus didn't just stop with the fact that God can, yes, destroy the body and the soul in hell? Jesus uses some interesting wording, some words. This, is, this isn't unicorn and skittle talk. This is big time. But he doesn't just stop there. He says, this God who can touch both your body and soul, destroy both of those, cares for you more than many sparrows. So not only is he bigger and more grander than this man who might be able to hurt your body, but he cares for you more than anything else on the earth. Um, question I, 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 I want to deal with this morning is, so Jason, am I supposed to fear God or am I not supposed to fear God? What's the answer? And my answer is yes. But it's, it's, it's either one or the other, Jason. It's either or. No, it's actually both and. And when you can understand why it's both and, I believe things will change. And I believe we will actually take Jesus' words in Matthew 10 seriously. And we will be the workers. Because we actually fear God more than we fear man. Isn't that our problem? We fear man more than we fear God. That's the issue. That's where we stand. And Jesus gives us a very interesting uh, tactic in battling the fear of man. It's understanding who God is. Um, I want you to see uh, Ellen Davis says it this way, and and I love this because it puts it in such plain language. There is nothing neurotic about fearing God. Fear of the Lord is the deeply sane recognition that we are not God. Psalm 111.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of true wisdom. Proverbs 9.10 says, Fear of the Lord is the foundation of wisdom. And I love how it continues. Knowledge of the Holy One results in good judgment. For the disciples, it was good judgment for them not to fear man because they had a knowledge of the Holy One. It made sense because they understood that man could not kill them and and touch their soul, but that God had them. God, this all-powerful one who who, who can not only touch the body, but he can also destroy the soul, cares for them greater than anything else on the earth, and he's the one who holds them. So that caused their judgment to change. It in fact says that the fear of the Lord causes the knowledge of a holy one. The word, when we have that moment of going, you're creator and I'm creature, there is actually a moment of transformation in the way we make decisions. There's actually a decision-making thing that triggers in our brain. And it causes what the Bible calls good judgment. Jesus used these words. Now, if I'm a fly on the wall in Jesus' calling of the disciples, I'm sitting here going... This is a pretty intense thing. I am glad I'm not one of those guys. And at that moment, when Jesus says, don't fear man, don't fear man, he says it twice. And then he says, but fear God, who can touch both body and soul. Destroy both of those in hell. That's the moment I go, what? What did you just say? You mean there's a creator who's greater than me? You mean I'm not God? You mean I'm not in control of every heartbeat that beats in my heart, every breath that I take? I'm not the ultimate final say-all guy? There's someone bigger than me? So when Jesus speaks this word, these words, it is meant as warning. And for some of you in this room, you may have been living as your God, your ultimate And there's a problem there, and Jesus is addressing this as a warning. You are not God, and there is a God. But it's not just warning. For those of us in this room, it is also comfort. 
It is comfort to know that I am not God. It is comfort to know that man is not God. And that ultimately this God who is all powerful cares for me more than many sparrows. He cares for me more than anything else on this earth. And that is a source of comfort for the Christ follower to understand that there is a God and that he cares for me. That's the question that you begin to ask when you see the warning. When you go, whoa, I'm creature, he's creator. How do I respond? I mean, what is this God like? What does he want from me? What does he demand? What is he, what's his role and how does he interact with us? And that's where we believe the scriptures begin to give us a good picture. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, I want you to, to, the Lord is revealing himself consistently in the scriptures. He's giving people an idea of who he is because we're really good at making up ideas of who God is. We're really good. And we believe that the scriptures give us a clear picture of who he is. In Deuteronomy chapter 10, it starts, For the Lord your God is the God of gods and Lord of lords. He's saying he's it. He is the great God, the mighty and awesome God who shows no partiality and cannot be bribed. He ensures that orphans and widows receive justice. He shows love to the foreigners living among you and gives them food and clothing. So you too must show love to foreigners, for you yourselves were once foreigners in the land of Egypt. You must fear the Lord your God and worship him and cling to him. Your oaths must be in his name alone. He alone is your God, the only one who is worthy of your praise, the one who has done these mighty miracles that you have seen with your own eyes." Did you catch the difference between worldly fear and godly fear? It's in verse 20. You must fear the Lord your God and worship Him and cling to Him. And cling to Him. See, worldly fear says run from God. Worldly fear says you're just afraid. You're these religious fanatics who are afraid of this God who's ready to play whack-a-mole with your life. When you screw up, make make a bad decision, he's ready to just smash you with a hammer. That's no freedom at all. Run from him. That's what the world says. You want to know why the world says that? Because they believe man is the pinnacle of existence. And so they say don't fear God. But yeah, there's some men you should probably be afraid of. And we see the exact opposite in Scripture. We see we are not to fear man when they threaten us or if they threaten to kill us. You see, the problem is we fear man and we don't fear God. Or we do fear man and we fear God the wrong way. I don't know where you're at. I don't know what boat you're in this morning, but I do know that the Scriptures address this specifically. You see, the kind of fear, biblical fear, is like this, and I try and explain this to my kids, so you'll have to apolo- uh, I have to apologize for explaining it this way if you're like, the fear of God is huge and reverent. Well, let me try to explain this to my children. And the fear that we see in Scripture is twofold. It is a shrinking back in awe. It's the, oh, moment. But it is also an attraction to, because of the wonder and amazement it causes. So it's not just a, oh, but it's, ah, oh, ah. If you've ever been to the Grand Canyon, you know exactly what I'm talking about. You stand at the mouth of the Grand Canyon and you are like, whoa, but you can't stay away from the edge. You walk straight up to the edge. 
You're, oh, this is, this is bigger than me, and I feel it in every way possible. But I'm going to climb over that fence, and I'm going to stand on the edge of that cliff, and I'm going to look over it. It's this trembling of this is greater, but I want to be close to it. You see, my son, Kai, he's, he's two, and right now he's very bold the way he talks and the way he does things. But when we get to a new surrounding, he's very timid, and he'll get behind my leg, and he'll just grab onto my leg, and he'll just stay behind me. And what he does is Kai is expressing fear of daddy. But he's clinging to me. So how is he afraid of me? I'm not doing anything. Because Kai, when he gets brave, he'll venture out past my leg and he'll see things. But if things are getting out of hand, he runs right back and clings to daddy. In that moment, Kai is saying daddy is bigger and badder than everything out there. And it is in his fear of daddy that he clings to me. It is him saying, daddy is bigger and stronger and greater and grander than anything out there. Nothing can touch me when I'm hanging on to daddy. It's a good feeling. <laughs> but I want you to understand that if your view of God is whack-a-mole God, you are fearing him incorrectly. There are those of us in this room that have this fear, uh, and I'm talking to the Christ followers specifically, and I'll tell you why. Because Christ followers, we are not called to run from God in that way. We are in fact called to fear Him, worship Him, cling to Him. And if you call yourself Christ follower and your response is, fear Him, worship Him, run from Him, you do not understand what Christ has done. And if you are in this room outside of Christ and you're thinking you're walking right into God's presence, you have another thing coming. There is warning with this, but there is also comfort. So how do you fear the right thing the right way? Um, there are many movies, and, and I don't have time to show the clip this morning, but there are movies that you've seen probably, particularly Jackie Chan movies, martial arts clips, all those different things, where the police are getting ready to move in, and they're going to go in and take the bad guy out, and Jackie Chan, he fights all 20 of them, and then the police come in late, and the battle's already done. This is the imagery I hope you can see as we read through Hebrews chapter uh, 10. Because in Hebrews chapter 10, we see that the battle is fought for us already. The victory is somebody else's. The authority that we walk into God's presence is somebody else's. In Hebrews chapter 10, this is what we see. And I'm going to read this to you because I believe it paints the picture. And I hope that it will cause you to, fear the, to, to not fear the wrong thing and to learn to fear the right thing the right way. Under the old covenant, the priest stands and ministers before the altar day after day, offering the same sacrifices again and again, which can never take away sins. The, writers of Hebrew, the writer of Hebrews is taking us through an Old Testament picture, so we have an idea of what they've done before. And he continues, But our high priest offered himself to God as a single sacrifice for sins, good for all time. Keep that in mind. Then he sat down in the place of honor at God's right hand. There he waits until his enemies are humbled and made a footstool under his feet. For by that one offering, he forever made perfect those who are being made holy. And the Holy Spirit also testifies that this is so. For he says, this is the new covenant I will make with my people on that day, says the Lord. I will, I will put my laws in their hearts and I will write them on their minds. Then he says, I will never again remember their sins and lawless deeds. And when sins have been forgiven, there is no need 
to offer any more sacrifices. And so, dear brothers and sisters, we can boldly enter. Now, that does not sound to me like a cowering hand at the whack-a-mole hand of God. But look how we boldly enter. Heaven's most holy place because of the blood of Jesus. By his death, Jesus opened a new and life-giving way through the curtain into the most holy place. And since we have a great high priest who rules over God's house, let us go right into the presence of God with sincere hearts, fully trusting him. For our guilty consciences have been sprinkled with Christ's blood to make us clean, and our bodies have been washed with pure water. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. You see, often in counseling sessions and in marriages, you're not supposed to use words like, you always, or you never, or all the time. And I love how God breaks all those rules right here. The question is, do we believe that what Christ has done is enough? And I'm telling you, as a church, we don't. We base our ability to approach God on how good our week is. I hear it all the time. There's a problem with that. Because we make little of what Jesus did every time we base it on our worthiness. Every time I say, I can approach God because I had a good week this week. You make little of Jesus' sacrifice. You may be on the opposite end. I cannot go to church this week because I had a terrible week. You make little of Jesus' sacrifice. It's the same on both ends because we're ignoring what Jesus did and putting our trust in what we're capable of. And friends, that is so dangerous because it keeps the church afraid. Afraid of all the wrong things. Not even fearing God the right way. We don't cling to Him. We run from Him because we're basing it on our works. Paul says to the churches, he writes in 1 Thessalonians, Now may the God of peace make you holy. Who makes you holy? Say it, please. God makes you holy. But somehow we think we do. Colossians 1.19 For God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ, and through him God reconciled. Who reconciled? Okay. Everything to himself. He made peace. Who made peace? With everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you who were once far away from God. You were his enemies separated from him by your evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself. Who reconciled you? Through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. Who brought you into his presence? And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without a single fault. Jesus laid out the task of the disciples very simply. That it was he alone, God alone, that they needed to fear. And it's so strange to think that the world system says run from this God. When God is pursuing us that we might cling to him. The band is going to come and we're going to close in worship. And spend some time just meditating on the Word of God. But if you are in this place, and your belief is, well, my worthiness, my worthiness is how I 
can commune with God, then let me make something very clear. You have everything to fear because we're not worthy. But if it's based on Christ's worthiness, you have nothing to fear because he's worthy. As Christ followers, we have a very real struggle. And the call to fulfill the mission of God, of going to the ends of the earth, is not going to happen if we fear the wrong things and we don't fear God the right way. When we're running from Him in fear, we've missed it. Because He's a God who invites us to come close. He's a God who has pursued us as we've run from Him. That's what the Scriptures mean, and He loved us first. If you're still afraid of God's judgment, the Scriptures say that you don't understand Christ's love for you. In 1 John, perfect love casts out all fear, and that is the knowledge of judgment. I will not meet God as judge because of what Christ has done on my behalf. As the church, we have an opportunity to consider the warning and the comfort of that phrase of fear God. When the creature recognizes that we're creature and he's creator, I hope the questions you're asking are, what is he like? What does he want? And as you continue to see over and over and over, it is relationship that he longs for with us. But they are on his terms. And it is through the blood of Christ that we can approach this God confidently and boldly. It's the blood every time. So do I fear God or do I not fear God? Yes. Jesus, thank you for loving us. And I ask that if there are those in this room that are fearing the wrong things and they're, fearing, they're not fearing you or they're fearing you incorrectly, they have a warped view of who you are, I ask Jesus that by your spirit you'd open our eyes to the truth. Lord, do your work. Change our hearts. Convict us of sin. And may we be bold because we recognize there is a God who is greater than any man. But yet this great God cares for us more than anything else. Lord, we love you.